Hey there. Welcome to Twins Talk Clear-Cut Communication. Yes, we are twins. And yes, we are two old guys who should know better than to try to tackle the topic of communication in a podcast. But we're going to do it anyway, and hopefully you'll find it informative and maybe even enjoyable. Hey, we're coming to you from Bacon Level, Alabama. Now, that's a real town, but I have no idea why they would name themselves Bacon Level. Bacon, bacon Level as in... Breakfast meat? As, as in breakfast meat. Bacon level. So our listeners could be out there trying to struggle with how would a town come up with that name, but nonetheless, bacon level. And what state is that in? Alabama, as you might suspect. <laughs> okay. That would be bacon my level. reaction. Yes. You know, last week, Ray, we spent some time talking about when to give people feedback. And we're still on the topic of feedback. And one of the things we ran out of time, but there were two things that I felt we really needed to hit upon, at least uh, briefly, to add to this notion of when do you give people feedback. And one is as close to the behavior as possible, because it's real important that people are able to connect the feedback you're giving them with the actual behavior. And so when you do it as close as possible to when the behavior was enacted or demonstrated, that becomes very important. And then the other uh, thing we talked about in terms of when you give people feedback is at a, at a certain cadence. You don't surprise them with it. You don't drop it on them. You have a kind of cadence to the feedback you're giving that gives them an understanding that they cannot expect and anticipate and even predict when they're going to get feedback. So to that degree, you want to comment on that briefly and then maybe take us into this coming session? Well, I think the the first point is really important, that you get feedback in a timing that allows to have the greatest impact. If you give the feedback, particularly if it's going to be constructive and person could react to it too distant from when they actually did it, they wonder if you're just taking a shot at them. The second thing about cadence, cadence is important in giving feedback that it be predictable, that people think you have a pattern. They can appreciate that they'll get feedback. You'll give them information fairly close to their behavior if there's anything out of place or anything particularly good. So they begin to get comfortable with the idea it's coming. And with cadence, it's not just timing, but it also has a feel to it in terms of how you give it, in terms of how calm you are, how consistent you are, yelling or screaming. I one time thought, well, you put on your best public radio voice and you just kind of (laughs) give them this smooth information that helps them take it in. And so I, I liked your concept of cadence and it has lots of components. And maybe the best thing to say to the listeners is if you just give feedback sporadically or when you finally reached your boiling point and you can't not give feedback anymore, you probably made a mistake. That's not the pattern. Absolutely. I think you being regular and predictable is really an important part of the process. Well, that probably helps us lead into the next area. And that is we want to talk today about how do people actually perceive feedback? There's one thing when we talk about how do you give it? When do you give it? What are some skills related to giving it? But the other side of that coin is how do people perceive feedback when it's being given to them. And both you and I, over time, independently developed a model of how people perceive feedback when it's given. And I'd love you to kick us off on that. I'll fill in. And there could be some differences of of opinions out there, folks. So don't be surprised if Ray and I tease with this and try to tease it out as to what we're really thinking about when we think about how people end up perceiving the feedback that they're given. Jump in. Okay, Bob, thanks for the lead in. Uh, There are two dimensions. I've always viewed feedback as having two dimensions. If you were, uh, for the listeners, if you were in your mind's eye making a graph of this, there would be two axes. 
If you want to make it a vertical one, I would call that one valence. And that means is the information going to be positive or is it likely to be negative in terms of its impact or its view by the recipient? Am I giving them positive information? They just I think is terrific. Or am I giving them negative information, something that's taking a shot at their behavior? And again, I'm going to push right on that point and say it's really them who determines the valence. I mean, I can give them something that I think is possible. I could be saying something I think, well, this is a very positive statement. And they could interpret it as very negative, right? I mean, that's, that's the issue. We Perfect. don't control valence. Perfect. I, you're absolutely right. I don't think that you have any control over the valence of the behavior. The second axis, the uh, horizontal axis, would be what we call utility. How useful is the information you're giving them? And the utility is a function of the specificity of the information. On one end, uh, say the left-hand end, it's vague. You give them information that's not specific, that has virtually no detail to it. And then on the other end of that continuum, that, that axis, you have highly specific, very detailed information. That, that Again, that axis is the utility of the information. You know, and, and when we talk about utility, my reaction is, again, this term is really important, how they interpret, is this useful to me? Can I use this in any real way? And so often that's contingent on their ability to be able to see what you're telling them. Can I visualize it? Can I see what you're asking me to do or what you're telling me I'm not doing? Is it a behavior? Is it something that I can really point to? Can I do something as a result of what you're saying? Now, I'm not sure there's any other terms I can quickly think of, but this utility thing is so important because fundamentally our shared position is going to be, they can't use the information they're getting. You're in trouble. They're not in trouble. You're ultimately in trouble. Right. I would say that your your skill, your effectiveness at feedback is virtually totally contingent upon your ability to provide useful information. If the information you're providing has low utility, it is not going to make any impact. And quite frankly, you're wasting your time. Now, in this visual graph I'm trying to create for the listeners, you need to draw a line vertically halfway along that utility axis. You need to draw a line vertical that gives you four quadrants, four different spaces. Because in the model we're going to share, these four uh, quadrants represent different uh, impacts on the recipient of the feedback. And I'm going to say they represent different ways that people perceive and thereby interpret what you're saying and doing. So if I'm giving feedback and I'm going to use them as four boxes, we've got this four box matrix, we've got this four quadrants, and each quadrant represents a way, given the the dynamics of the two axes, the two different uh, dimensions that feedback reside in, they're going to interpret that feedback in a particular way. And that's what becomes important in terms of us understanding when we're being feedback providers. Keep going. Okay, Bob, well, give me me your favorite, your favorite box. My favorite, my favorite is positive valence and high utility. That's what I like to get. I like to get positive feedback that I can do something with. So that's one of okay, my- where's that, Okay, where's that located visually so our listeners can keep track? Visually, that's in the upper right-hand corners. We're looking at the uh, four quadrants. I'm now in the upper right-hand corner. That's a positive and high, positive valence and high utility. The research we did, a colleague and I did on this, on how people interpret that. When we ask them, when you get feedback, that's useful, and you interpret it as positive. How do you understand that feedback? What do you understand that to be? And most often we got two or three words. One was praise, positive feedback, and appreciation. Appreciation. So what's yours? The my same, right? favorite one would be the lower right. It's not my favorite. Actually, you took my favorite. 
and I'll never forgive you for it. But my my second favorite <laughs> is the lower right high utility. So it's on the right end of the axis of utility and it's negative. And I consider that constructive. It's the opportunity, if you're skilled, to change behavior. It's the opportunity to bring attention to behavior in such a way people understand two things. One is they understand the impact of their behavior on their environment. And two, they begin to consider what might be a best choice here. So that's probably, again, my second favorite. So to me, it was always nice to be able to offer people that positive appreciation and praise for behavior. But this one is really the one that changes behavior. And, you know, as you said, and I'm thinking about it this way, from your perspective of both offering it and the potential outcomes of something can be done that changes behavior, that makes that an attractive form of feedback. But to the people we talk to, I think they agree with you, but they would never call it constructive. They frequently just simply refer to it as negative feedback. They understood what they're getting is feedback, something they can do something with, but it's clearly in their minds negative. So, well, you know, Bob, I think that, that it's inevitable that if you give people information that has a negative valence, no matter what the specificity level is you achieve, very often they're going to feel badly about it. But my experience has been that if I do it right, while no one's going to say, oh, thank you for giving me that information right away, what I often get is people come back later, days to weeks, and say, you know, I didn't want to hear what you had to say to me. I didn't like that, but you were right. And it was important to me to consider, and I think I've made a good choice since then. That's about the best outcome I've experienced in the aftermath. It's not that people ever say, man, I love that. I enjoyed getting beat with it. But they came to a place where they understood the value of it. Although I think you and I both have had people say, I appreciate you telling me that because no one else would tell me that or no one else has told me that. And it's important for me to understand that this is how I'm perceived. And so I've at least had people who don't jump for joy or they don't get excited the same way we would about positive valence feedback that's out there. But they do react and say, this was important. Now, again, the issue I'm taking is that I have found those of us who give it want to call it constructive because we know it is constructive. We know it does make a difference. We know it can be a game changer. But at the moment they're receiving it, it's hard for the person to understand the constructive nature of it, although they will oftentimes say, there's something going on here that's really valuable. But now at least I know what I need to do. So I'm with you okay, on let that. Me, let, let me throw something else out. I would say this, that vertical line I ask people to draw in their visual graph chart. I would contend that everything to the left of it is by and large unproductive. Everything to the left of it has from a delivery standpoint is negative. Tell me what could be negative about the upper left-hand corner, the idea that I'm giving positive information with low specificity. I, I'm going to keep altering that just slightly, that you're giving information that I perceive as positive. Because again- Absolutely right, Bob. Absolutely right. You could intend lots of things to be positive, and I don't perceive it that way. But if you're saying, give me the downside information that you've given me, feedback that you've given me that I perceive as positive and that it has low utility, I can't do anything with it. Well, give me an example. Okay, two words that come to mind, flattery and ingratiation. And oftentimes what will happen is people will say something nice to you or will commend you. And in fact, you become suspicious. And usually it's suspicious over time. First time it feels good, but one or two times you're saying, hey, now wait just a minute. One, I can't do anything with that. But two, I'm beginning to suspect you. And that's where the term ingratiation comes in. And oftentimes it's most typical in supervisor subordinate relationship. 
when the subordinate comes up and starts saying really nice things that have no utility, the supervisor should be on guard. They should begin to think, wait just a minute now, what's going on here? Now, you had an example earlier that was a cute one with your son. So why don't you go ahead and share that? Okay. My recall, uh, now Matt may remember this very differently, but my recall and the story I'm telling is this. When Matt first came home from college, his first visit home, And Matt, by the way, if you're listening, pay attention because you'll want to call your dad on this one. Right. Matt came in the house and was, it was great to see him. And the first thing I remember him saying to me was, you know, dad is great seeing you. And I don't think I tell you often how good a dad you are, how much I enjoyed the parenting you did. I said, well, thanks, Matt. And I felt pretty good about that. In fact, I felt great about it. About 20 minutes later, I was sitting in the family room and Matt walks in and says, you know, Dad, I think I'd just provide a little bit more information for you, a little bit more feedback for you. You did a wonderful job of being a dad. You did a wonderful job, a parent. The first thing that happened in my head was a question mark popped up. I thought, what's this about? And he walks out and then another 10 minutes goes by. And he walks back in and says, Dad, I just want to reinforce what I've been saying to you since I came home. You are a terrific dad. And, and I said, Matt, what is it you want? And he said, well, what I was really hoping to do is to borrow the car. I said, here. <laughs> and that's my recall. But that was giving me positive information, very vague. And I felt manipulated. Even though you think you're telling someone, what a great job. What a wonderful thing you've done. If you keep doing that regularly without being any more specific or adding a layer of detail, people can feel manipulated. They can feel uh, that you're trying to get something from them. You're trying to move them. So that's how I do that. In the end, that can have a negative impact. That can have a a downer to it. Yes. And in fact, at some point, if it's ongoing, it's easily dismissed. If we've got a person who consistently just simply provides flattering comments, constantly trying to ingratiate themselves, we essentially dismiss that at the very least. Later on, we may become increasingly suspicious or feel manipulated, which could turn negative. Now, the quadrant I'm most interested in is the one we haven't addressed. And we're going to refer to that as the lower left-hand quadrant in which it has a negative valence. That is the person who's getting the feedback perceives it as negative, regardless of my intent as the provider of feedback. And it has low to no utility. Actually, a colleague and I presented this as a paper at an international communication uh, conference in Hawaii. And frankly, that's why we presented the paper, because it was in Hawaii and we wanted our way paid. And so we went out and did a study on how do people perceive feedback. And so we got them to identify the terms that they would use to describe the feedback in each one of the four quadrants. And we've already identified those. And the top left-hand one was the term flattery or ingratiation. And the top right-hand one was the term praise or positive feedback. And the lower right-hand one, which had high utility, but negative valence, they saw it as negative feedback or criticism. And this particular quadrant was the one that both of us as presenters thought, this is worth the price of admission. What we found out is that people who receive feedback that they deem negative and has low utility, they perceive it as aggression. And let me push that even further. They perceive it as not feedback at all. That is, what ends up happening is they turn the tables and they look at the person providing the feedback and they say, you are just being aggressive. This is all about you. You have similar views of that, but go ahead and share your perspective on that. Yeah, yeah, my view of that delivery, if I'm delivering feedback that's negative and has virtually no specificity, low and utility, is I'm actually assaulting the person. Mm. The natural response to assault is defense. So what happens is when you give that, Ah. you deliver that kind of information, people are going to go on defense. They're going to protect themselves from it. They're going to create a barrier so that doesn't get through. And like you said, they're going to look at you as the problem, that you've got a problem. And it's not just a problem with them. You've got a problem. 
Mm-hmm. And so that anyone who wants to get better and be considered more skillful at feedback stays away from that quadrant. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You do not want to generate feedback that has that low utility and is negative. You know, and as you say that, one of the insights that I gain from that perspective is the notion of defensiveness on the part of the receiver of the feedback. And it's a, it's a tell, if you will that I've not been successful or I've not been particularly good at providing this feedback when people begin to respond increasingly defensively. Now, some people are naturally going to be defensive. We know that. But for me as a person who's providing feedback, one of the things I can look for is am I, by the way I'm providing the feedback, creating a defensiveness that's unnecessary, that I could have done it in a different way that had a greater potential of reducing that defensiveness. I like that term, that we can create that. You know, as you say that, my, my reaction is, As I'm watching the person's response, if their defensiveness is becoming impenetrable, I have not done a good job. I can use that as a very clear indicator that I need to change my tactic. I need to change my wording. I need to change the way I'm delivering this information because there isn't a reason it should be impenetrable. Now, like you said, you really don't control the other person's reaction. They could be defense from the outset. They could be defensive. That's their natural reaction to almost anything. Now, where you you tend to focus, have focused largely on that to make sure people understand the point, I tend to focus on that lower right hand quadrant because I think that's where the real skill of providing feedback can be measured, even more so than the upper right-hand quadrant. That lower uh, right-hand quadrant is really the skill test because it is hard for people to receive. It's not hard for people to receive well-delivered positive feedback, but for people to receive feedback that's negative in balance, that has to be delivered with great skill. Again, to emphasize and to really nail the point we're trying to make, that skill relies upon your ability to be very specific and provide information that's extremely useful. And apart from that, you can't stay in that quadrant. You're going to drift back to this other quadrant where people are going to simply see it's about you and you being aggressive. So your focus as a feedback provider is to really be focused on what can I say that is truly useful. And almost, as you were saying, if we're getting an impenetrable defensiveness, we may have to back up and think, how can I deliver this? Or how can I ask questions that can make the information I'm trying to provide more useful to them? Well, one of the things about this model that I really like, Bob, the thing that I enjoy most, is that what it says is there's only one thing that I can do to become more effective at delivering feedback. There's only one element I control. And that is the level of specificity. If I commit myself to providing detailed, clear, accurate information and delivered with a tone that's reasonably warm and hospitable and interpersonally not pleasant, but considerate, that level of detail is what makes a difference. The only thing that I control, I don't control the valence. I only control the specificity. If I'm willing to increase the detail, if I'm willing to increase the layers of specific information, I can get more effective. I would add one note, and then we are really at time. We're pushing the limits. I guess the concern I have is people might say, okay, I'm going to get more and more specific, more and more detailed, but it's about how useful that detail is. If you're providing details that have no utility, then you miss the point. And so it is Our push for specificity is to say the closer you get to specific behaviors, probably the more useful you're going to be in terms of providing the kind of information that person needs. Now, on to next week. This is just a a preview. We'll lay out a process model of how you can deliver this information that helps you be more specific and be more useful. The twins are done talking for today. Now it's your turn. 
We'd love to hear from you with feedback regarding today's theme or situation you'd like us to step into during a future session. You can reach us at twintalk46 at gmail.com. Remember, no communication problem is so big, so complicated, or so intense that we can't make it larger, more complex, or more dangerous than it already is, almost effortlessly. And we'd like to thank Kevin McLeod for the score that both began and ended this podcast.